Welcome to Eastgate Church. I trust you'll find this message inspiring and encouraging for you today. This morning, um, the, the heading for this morning's sermon, and it's probably off the back of probably where I would hope for us to be moving this year. As I says at the beginning of this year, it says it's time for us to take the land. Hallelujah. If you remember that sermon, it was the first one after the new year. And, um, but it's time for us to take the land. For far too long, I believe the church has been on the back foot. I believe we have been, we've been locked back, we've been pushed back. And I think it's time for us to move forward again and stand up and be counted. We need to lift up our voice and let our voice be heard in our nation. For our nation needs to hear the voice of the Lord. So the title of this is Bringing Back the Ark. Hallelujah. Bringing Back the Ark. Glory to God. And we're going to be reading a portion of scripture here in one Chronicles, we could have, you could read it in 2 Samuel, but I've chosen to read it in 2 Chronicles, sorry, 1 Chronicles 13, that was 2 Samuel, so 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and this is the story of the ark being brought back now to Jerusalem. We'll read a few verses here, it says, then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader, and David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and it is of, of the, and it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who, who are left in the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, and may gather together to us, and let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people." So David gathered all of Israel together from Shihor in Egypt as so as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath Jerim, if I'm pronouncing that properly. And David and all Israel went up to Bala and Kirjath Jerim, which brought to Judah to bring up from the ark of God of the Lord who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God in a new cart from the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ai, Ai drove the cart. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing of harps on stringed instruments and tambourines and on cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand on the hold to take hold of the ark for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him because he put his hand in the ark and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, the place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, and he took it aside and took it into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in the house there for three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So just a little bit of history regarding the ark of the God, which was very symbolic of God's glory, where the glory of God dwelt was in the ark. It's probably the most precious piece of furniture in all the world. And, um, and it's been lost. It was lost after the, the, the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar in, the, in Jerusalem. And when Jerusalem fell, it says the ark was never mentioned again. It just seems to have disappeared uh, I believe today the Christian, in, or sorry, the Jewish Institute in um, Jerusalem believe that they found it. They believe that they know where it is, and it's been—it's they're keeping it as a secret. 
Hopefully they're going to roll that out one day, probably when they look forward to putting a third temple together. So they claim that they know what it is, that Solomon had factored something in place. So if anything ever happened to Jerusalem, that he was the master architect and he had a safe place to be store the most precious piece of furniture, which is the Ark of the Living God. So we'll just read a little bit about that in Exodus. I'll read a few verses here and just give us a little bit of context of this Ark. Of course, we know when they were in Sinai, God had taken Moses up into the mountain and gave him instructions to build a sanctuary or a tabernacle, if you like, for the presence of God. And we'll read a few verses starting from one. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. They shall take up my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skin, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, oint stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I will show them, show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And obviously it had to be very, very to follow the instructions of the Lord, hallelujah, that he had put this in place. And the thing here that really speaks to me before we even actually speak about the ark of the Lord there, that God has always wanted to come and live amongst his people. From the very beginning when God met with Adam and Eve and man sinned and, and, and he was thrust out of the presence of God, but God has always created us so that he could have a living relationship with us. He wants to come and he wants to dwell in the midst of his people. Isn't that wonderful that our God wants to dwell with us and God's plan was always that he would live in the midst of his people. Hallelujah. That was always God's plan to be in the midst of his people. Does that not make you feel special that God wanted to come and dwell with us on this earth? His presence could be with us. And so he wanted a special sanctuary so that God could dwell with us because it, for holiness to come and to live amongst sinful men and um, then we would have to have a special place organized for the Lord. And now we read about the Ark of the Testimony. And it says, You shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out and you shall overlay it you shall make on it a mold, a molding of gold all, gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and you shall put them on its corners. Two rings shall be in one side, and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles and the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of ark, so that you shall not be taken from it. And you shall put the ark in the testimony which I will give you." You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them for two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it, one piece with the, above the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and you shall face one another. The faces of cherubim shall be towards the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandments to the children of Israel. Now, isn't this amazing again how the Lord is very specific? And um, that would probably be about 45 inches in length and probably 27 inches 
width and height. So it was a very small box, and that's what it was, a box. But it was a very special box because that's where the Lord, if you like, it was a visible presence of the presence of God amongst the Israelites. And in the tabernacle, that was kept in a very, very holy place, as we know these things. But when it was on the move, the poles were there, so nobody would touch the actual ark. They would lift it by the poles, and they would carry that with them on their journeys, wherever the Lord was leading them. We can see here as well, it says the Lord would, would speak to them very clearly. Moses spoke to the Lord face to face. It's hard to really imagine what that would be like, but just to say the Lord would speak to them above the cherubim, above the mercy seat. And Numbers 7 and 8, 8 and 9, it says this, when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant Law. And this way the Lord spoke to him wouldn't it be wonderful if you could hear the Lord in such a way today? The audible voice of God spoke to Moses as he entered in, as he came before the Lord in front of that Ark of the Covenant. It says, the voice of the Lord was spoken out there. And he had a conversation with the living God. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Rather than we having to, is it just me sometimes when you're trying to really seek the Lord and you're, you get to hear God, do you think it would be great if you had an email or something that would just come to you? Or do you really sense sometimes when God speaks to you? We, I think we maybe all of us would struggle and I think if most preachers were very honest, they would say the same as thing. It's not just a case just walking, right? God speak to me and I'll just sit here and God would speak to me and I can hear him clearly. But thank God through his word and the reading of his word and through the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us that when we take time to spend time and really seek the face of God that we can hear the voice of the Lord. The thing is we need to tune our ears to hear the Lord. There's so many voices today, isn't there, in the, in the wake of life and so many people speaking sometimes just to hear that still small voice of the Lord. One of my prayers I pray often in the morning, I say, Lord, open up my eyes so that I might see that which is unseen and open up my ears that I might hear the still small voice of your Holy Spirit. Remember, God speaks and sometimes it's a very still small voice and you have to be in that place to be able to hear him. But the good news is, is God wants to speak to us. Isn't that wonderful? That God came and he lives in us and now by his spirit he has come and he lives with us individually and collectively for his glory. That makes you feel very special. It certainly makes me feel very special when I consider just when I look at myself back in the mirror to think that God could actually want to come and have a relationship with me. So we can see that very clearly here in Moses. Then it says there that he entered into that place and he would speak with the Lord. Again, we see that the ark of God was carried before the tribes of Israel. Sometimes we see that when they left Mount Sinai, you can read that, it says the ark of the Lord went before them and for three days it led them as they left Mount Sinai and began their journeys towards the promised land. We know the very famous case when we see the ark was taken where? Remember in Jericho? When they were going to march against Jericho, the ark of God went with them as they circled the walls of Jericho. The ark of God was very prominent, being carried with the priests. And we know that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So we see another major incident there with the ark of God that was being carried with the people. And again, we know that one as well. When Joshua then came, when they came through and they were crossing over into the land of Canaan, they came to the river Jordan. And it says the priests with the ark of God went into the water. And as soon as they stepped into the water, the waters of the Jordan Parted. So we can see again another major incident there with the ark of God being carried with the priests and Israel's conquests and Israel's journeys. Hallelujah, we can see all of that. 
Obviously, as well, we can see then where something went terribly wrong, and you read that in 1 Samuel, which is leading us up to the, the, the account that we're going to be reading on today. And we know that they, then the priesthood, had fallen into a terrible place. Eli and his sons uh, became very wicked and very corrupt. And, um, and they were being turned over to, they were battling with the Philistines and the Philistines were conquering them. You can read that in the beginning of Samuel 1, Samuel 4. It says then, when they were defeated, it says, we'll bring the ark of God into the camp and surely we will get the victory, thinking they'd bring in the ark that the Lord was going to come in and fight in their behalf. And so when we see the ark of God then, when it came in, because of the wickedness of the people, God allowed the ark to be captured by the enemy. Isn't that amazing? The very ark that symbolized the presence of God, it fell into enemies' hands, and then it went behind enemy lines. And you can read that in the early chapters of Samuel, 1 Samuel 4, and they took the ark into the Philistine country. And it lay there for, what, seven months, caused great problems. It's a very interesting read, the book of Samuel. I'd encourage all of us to read it. And it lay there behind enemy lines for, because of the sin of the people. Seven months it was. And then eventually they couldn't handle the presence of God and they sent the ark back with an offering. And eventually it ends up in this man's house. Um, and let me just find that man's house actually. Abinadab, I'm sure it was. But let's just go there. 1 Samuel. This man, it ends up in this man's house, yes. And that would be in Kirjath-Jerim. And it came there to that man's house. And it was Abimadab's house in the hill. And that's where it lay now for the next foreseeable time. Hence the reason this is a background now to the scriptures that I've just read to you today. Some, it says here that they're there for 20 years. But probably it was there for much longer than 20 years. Because don't forget when Saul's reign they did not actually consult for the ark of God. So he never wanted to bring it back. So we could probably say at least it was there in Abinadab's house for probably 60 years or thereabouts, maybe even closer in 70 years. Although maybe some people might dispute that in some of these great theologians. But now this is where we get to the portion of scripture that I brought to us this morning was bringing back the ark. Thank God for a man like David. Not only was David a great king, but he had a great love for his God. David loved the Lord passionately. He had such a zeal for the Lord. And when David came into that place of power, we see David rising up. And when David then was crowned king over all of Israel, and Jerusalem now became the city of David, the great city. I love the city of Jerusalem. It's my favorite city in all the world. That's why I keep getting drawn back there. And now David, now his, his enemies have now been defeated you see here in 1 Chronicles 14, should probably, probably be before actually 13, Once 2 uh, Samuel tells us that, that he defeated his enemies and David now had defeated the Philistines and now David was in a position, the city was prepared and now David says it's time now to bring the ark of God because David wanted the presence of the Lord to be close to him. I think that's a message for every one of us, brethren. You know, how close do you want the Lord to be to you? Hallelujah. How close do you want the Lord to be to you? There should be, a, there should be a striving within all of us, a zeal to have the Lord close to me. I want to be close to the Lord. Hallelujah. It's my driving force. And I know I'm from, sometimes I still feel so far away. Is it just, you know, sometimes the closer you feel you want to get to God, sometimes you feel I'm so far away. But I remember the Lord speaking to me once and says, Arthur, you're not as far away as you think. It's something that God always seems to keep for us because it should always be a driving theme 
to get close to God. Hallelujah. There's always something should be driving this because there's more, because there's more, because there's more. The revelation just would just be, is, is beyond us. You'll never get to the point you think you can know God. For no one will ever know God. But I want to tell you this, there should be a driving force to say, I need to know him. Paul brings out very clearly in Philippians 3, Paul says, I press in with all my might that I might know him who knows me. Glory to God. And I want to tell you this, this man had great revelation of God, and yet even he still says, but I long to press in into the deeper things of Christ. Glory to God. So we see there, David now has been established, the Philistines are put down, and now he gathers all the leaders of Israel, and he brings them all. He wants to make this a national event. He brings all the leaders of the nation to himself and he says to him look let us now think about bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem so he consults with all of them and they all agree and then he says let's bring all the people all the people together this is going to be a national event to bring in the ark of God the biggest event ever now they're going to bring the ark of God symbolic of the presence of God and we're going to bring that in now to the capital city and we're going to make it prime place where it should be in the capital within Jerusalem. And so they said, and it says here just at the end of five, it says, and everybody says, this is a great thing for us to do. Glory to God. It's going to be a great thing to do. You have to imagine the scene. This is hundreds of thousands of people that are going to be there for this massive event. The whole nation is turned out. And now we're going to go and we're going to bring the ark of God from Abinadab's house and we're going to bring it to Jerusalem. I've tried to work out the distance, there's disputes, but they say roughly about nine miles. This was going to be about a nine-mile journey to bring it from Abinadab's house to bring it to Jerusalem. Glory to God. Such a major event to transport, if you like, the ark to the ark to Jerusalem. This is just going to be the major thing. The route would have been packed with people, but they decide to carry the ark in a new cart pulled by oxen. What a turn, big, massive mistake that they were going to make, and they didn't know it. And the most powerful major event in the whole nation, bringing the ark of God, the most precious piece of furniture in all the world, was symbolized of the very presence of God, and they were going to bring that to Jerusalem, but they didn't consult the Lord. They decided to move it on a cart, probably because the Philistines sent it back in a cart. Maybe they thought that would be an okay way, but they decided amongst themselves, but they never sought the Lord for the way to bring back the presence of the living God. And that was going to be, as I said, a major, major mistake. Obviously, David forgot to consult the Lord. This great man who was used to consulting the Lord. I mean, it's not as if David knew what it was to consult God. Even though the ark was in Abinadab's house, and I'm sure David must have visited from time to time, but David often consulted the Lord in his wars, and, and he sought God, and there was a priest there he would call, and he says, what do I do? One of those famous cases, and I'll just point it to you, just to say 1 Samuel 30, remember Ziglag? And 1 Samuel 30, remember the, the, the camp was sacked, and David now is seeking advice from the Lord to what to do. One, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 7 and 8, it says, Then David called to Abathar the priest, Abimelech, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord gives him, speaks back to him and says, Yes, go. Go. You will be successful. And you will capture all. You will regain all your, your captives. And you will be successful. That's how David, David often sought God and how he pursued in his battles against the enemy. And here David now 
is forgotten now to seek God and say, Lord, he could have brought the ephod in a priest and said, Lord, what's the best way for us to get the ark from Abimelech, Abimelech's house? Um, sorry, just getting confused my eyes there. From, from, let me get back here. My mind is going now. Hallelujah. From Abinadab's house to Jerusalem. You think David would have consulted the Lord, wouldn't you? But he didn't. Hallelujah. Pulled by these oxen. But obviously David and the people were oblivious to this amongst the singing and the celebrations. If we just go up there, now the, the, the ark is on the cart. It's moving, everything's going smoothly. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Everybody's excited. I'd imagine there'd be processions of people following and the streets would probably been lined the path. The, the route would have been filled with people. There would have been huge crowds and everyone would have been cheering. The excitement would have been powerful. And David and the troops were all singing and I'm sure they would have been dancing and they were playing music and they were, they were in such joy and adoration. It says that there in verse 8. Then David and all Israel played music before God, tambourines and cymbals with trumpets. What a tremendous atmosphere. But things were going to change because what? They made a major mistake because they never consulted the Lord. They were having a great time singing and praising the Lord and the presence of God was, was being going before them. When I was thinking of that sometimes, I was thinking maybe just even about ourselves because when we come into the house of the Lord, don't we? We are worshiping God and we're singing praises and so often we probably think God is really pleased. God's maybe very, God is sitting up there in the heavens rejoicing with the rejoicing coming from his people down here on earth. There's nothing new. We sing and we praise. We can, we can see how worship is very important. And sometimes I often sometimes ask my Lord, are you really pleased with what has been offered up to you? And I speak to myself first. Hallelujah. I can sing my wee heart out, but sometimes I have to keep checking myself and saying, Lord, but is it an acceptable offering to you? Hallelujah. And even from his church. So then as we move on in this story here, we meet the threshing floor of Chidon's threshing floor. And it says, oh, the oxen stumble and Uzzah puts out his hand to hold the ark and he is struck down dead. The anger of God breaks out immediately and this man now is struck down dead. You know, a threshing floor, as we read in the scriptures, is a place of judgment. It's a place where things get separated, the chaff and the grain. We know that when Jesus came, he uses it. John the Baptist uses that illustration, talks about Jesus. You know, his winning fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor. He will judge, he will separate. He will, he will bring judgment on the nation. And here we see here as well, it's as if the Lord waited to this moment of this threshing floor. It could have happened anywhere along the way. And I'm sure God had chosen that spot. It wasn't just the spot that the oxen had choose to stumble. It actually was a very symbolic spot because God was actually going to be telling them and bringing a strong message to them. For judgment again was going to fall upon them. And we can see that straight away there. David's, it says, now David's standing there. Hallelujah. He's angry. It's his first reaction. All of a sudden, everything comes to a stuttering halt. The procession, the music stops immediately. A man's lying dead in front of the ark. Most people probably wouldn't even know what was going on. And all of a sudden now, there's a deathly silence the presence of God is very clearly there. And David now is left. David's put all that hard work into it. His whole heart's desire. Everything he did, he felt he did it with the right heart, the right spirit. He wanted to see the glory of God back in Jerusalem. 
And there he is, he's put all the time and the effort, the, the amount of organization guys that would have been in to put this on would have been immense. And every point would have been covered, everything would have been put in place. But the most, the most important thing was he never consulted the Lord and how the ark should have been carried. And there was a major incident and a man lies dead, lying at the foot of the ark. Do you know, it reminds me when the, when the ark was in the Philistine territory. And do you remember they took the ark and they, and they put it into Dagon's temple? And the next morning they got up, guess what? There's Dagon, the statue of Dagon is on its face, lying in front of the ark. <laughs> and here we are again, only in real time now, there's a man lying dead in front of the ark because it did not assess the holiness of the living God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I've often thought this, you cannot manhandle the Lord. God will never allow himself to be manhandled. And I think for far too long, as a church even, we have manhandled God and we think this is what God would, we, we think this, we have put things in place that this is, you know, this is how God would like things to be. And we can just, we can think we can just move the furniture around and we can move things and we've got a religious structure, but is God pleased with the religious structure? And I think it's a sobering time for us as a church and where we want to go as we move forward and see, take the land, then we need to make sure we're going to be moving forward with the approval of God and we're moving in the right way according to God's way and not according to our way. There's a very fine line between that when I mean, you think you're, you're doing something in the Spirit, but there's another fine line to say, but is this, am I really being led by the Spirit or is it myself that is motivating? What a, what a time this was in the life of David and he would never actually probably forget that time. Here we see here, Next reaction, David feels is fear. The fear of God comes upon him. One is anger because of just everything has now been spoiled. But now fear, the fear of God grips hold of David. The fear of God. So much so, David says, how, how, can I bring this, how can I bring the ark to be with me in Jerusalem? See, David had prepared a special tent in Jerusalem. Everything, by the way, had been destroyed from the old tabernacle. It was housed in Shiloh. And, um, and we know that Shiloh was destroyed. So everything had been destroyed, all the furniture and the, te the tent and all of that that had been prepared by Moses. But the ark remained. But David had prepared the tent in Jerusalem, somewhere close to him. He wanted the ark there. And so now David's dreams have been smashed. And all of a sudden, the fear of God came into him and said, do I really want the presence of God that close to me? And it says, he, he bottles it. And he says, no, I'm going to put the ark aside. I don't want that ark too close to me. The fear of God gripped his heart and it goes to another man's house. Hallelujah. They put it aside to another man's house, Obed, Edom. And that's where it remains. Glory to God. And as I've been meditating upon this, I'm looking at us as we move forward, even as a nation, to see how we move forward in the things of God. I think too often, guys, and I probably, I think I did maybe minister a little bit and need to maybe concentrate. We've lost the fear of God. We have lost the fear of God and who this God is that we are meant to be representing. Now, God says, I'm with you when you're with me. That's, that's, you know, when you're with me, then I'm with you. The thing is, we need to line up with God. God is not going to line up with us. God will line up with us when we are lined up with him. Those who honor me, I will honor Hallelujah. The thing is, the emphasis is on us that we need to be the ones that are honoring God and being very faithful to that call. 
And now David now is now gripped with fear and the ark of God is put aside there to Obed-Edom's house. As I perceive where we should be going this year, brethren, I think this is a season for us to really get before the Lord. Now, one key word that is always there, when you want to actually handle the presence of God, you have to be consecrated. The Bible says, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourself. Be sanctified. Be sanctified before we can move into that presence of the living God. Time and time again, the Bible says this. For the Levites who were going to be handling the presence of God, they had to be consecrated. We'll read a little bit more of that as we move forward even to next week. But this is us, even in the land of Scotland. This is why I put this conference on for the land of Scotland to revisit where our fathers were and the glory of God that was known in this nation. And now I think if we'll be honest, and I think everybody has to be honest, we've lost the glory of God. The glory of God no longer is in the land of Scotland. And I'm not saying there's not a presence of God and we can be worshipping God. But I think we could all be agree we've lost the glory of God that's been lost to us. Why? Because of our sin and our abominations, because of our wickedness, and in the church as well, great wickedness has come into the church, just as it did in the camp of Eli and his two sons, who were totally wicked, and it says, in the presence of God, departed from them, so much so that the ark of God was taken from them. And this is what I've always felt, obviously, that the glory of God has been departed from our nation. But I've always felt within my spirit, and that's why we call ourselves Eastgate Church, that God wants to restore the glory back again to us. And it's us, the church, who are going to bring in the presence of the living God as David sets out to take hold again of the ark, which is symbolic of the presence of God, and bring it to himself in Jerusalem. And God is, I believe, stirring up the hearts of our people and our nation that we will rise up and we'll become hungry and zealous for the glory of God that we want to see the glory of God come back into our nation. Oh, I am hungry to see the glory of God back in my nation. Hence the reason Eastgate Church is all about the glory of God. It came in through the East Gate, touching a nation. Hallelujah. You know, it's interesting, Saul left the ark of God. He never, he never had the desire to bring the ark of God close to him. He never consulted it. David says there, he never consulted the ark of God. That doesn't mean to say God wasn't still working in them and they were still doing time. But they never consulted the ark of God. But here comes the heart of David. The heart of David was so, I need to see the glory of God with me in Jerusalem. And this is the heart I would like to see here taking place in Eastgate Church. That we will become a people that are desperate for what? To see the glory of God. Hallelujah. To have such a zeal and a desire to see God. I need to see your glory again in our land. Hallelujah. Scotland needs to be confronted with the glory of God. Hallelujah. And that's a mission I'm, I've set myself. And that's a mission I believe that God is calling us, the church, to. That we are a people who are able to bring the presence of God in. If God's going to come back into this land, the church is the ones who are going to bring the presence of God back into the land. For we are the what? The priesthood. All of us are a priesthood. Every single one of us have now been, if we're born again and washed in the blood of Christ, we are a royal priesthood. 
And we are the ones that's got to carry the presence of God back again into our land. And I believe God is busy raising up a church or a people that will take hold of this and be willing to take hold of God and see God again coming back into the land. But there's a warning here for us before I move on to next week. Listen, let us not man think we can manhandle God. Let us not think we can just we can just treat God any old way and we think we can just carry God around with us, like, you know, and 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 we and, and we don't realize the one who is actually living with us. We serve a holy and a righteous God. God will not tolerate sin. And yet, to a latter extent, you know, there's so much sin in the camp. If we want to see God moving in our midst, can I say this, brethren? I want to encourage you because I encourage myself. Can we consecrate ourselves that means can we get before God and allow God to consecrate us by his Holy Spirit I think Stuart enlightened that last week and we know there was many people came out and many people touched by the Spirit of God and Stuart very clearly was saying to them now listen this is just a touch this is just a touch you need to now allow that to transform you you need to now let that, you need to absorb that. You need to now allow that to filter through you. You need to now, Lord, take that to the next step and allow God to do his work in you. I remember going through seasons many times. We'd go do the churches and people would be praying for one another. And it was just, oh, did you get a blessing? Did you get a blessing? And we came every week, we were getting a blessing, we were getting a blessing. But we're never really moving forward. Yes, we would get anointing and we would feel, a, we would feel a, you know, a, a sense of the presence of God. But then we would so easily go back out again and we would do nothing with it. You see, when you get a touch from God, you need to do something with it. You need to actually now take hold of that and now allow God to do his work in you. You need to go into the deeper things of God. Father, by your spirit, continue to do a mighty work in me. Take away me, Lord, and let there be more of you. Hallelujah. Give me a zeal for you, Father. Then I better start rising up early in the morning and getting before the Lord. Hallelujah. I need to spend time in prayer. Michael, that was the first two things I said to you. I gave Michael a phone. Michael was powerfully touched. Don't want you to be singing them out. Last week, Michael had a powerful touch of the Holy Spirit. And I encouraged him. I says, Michael, I'm so blessed and encouraged. I says, Michael, get stuck into your word. Start spending more time in prayer. Start pursuing God now. Start allowing God, okay, Lord, now do a deeper work in me, a deeper work in me. That's what happens when God gives us a measure. Every one of us has been given a measure of faith or a measure of the Spirit. But you need to allow that Spirit now to work through you, to consecrate you more and more and more, to do His mighty work in you. And I want to tell you this, God will use us powerfully for his glory. I've always felt God is going to do a work in this nation. And anybody that knows me, is that true? I've always felt that God has got unfinished business with Scotland. I believe God wants to do a work in Scotland. I believe God wants to touch the hearts and lives of our people, our streets and our highways and our byways. I believe that God's glory again wants to come into this land because once this nation knew the glory of God, I want to tell you this, this nation knew the glory of God. You'll hear a little bit about that if you come to the conference. This nation knew the glory of God, but we lost it. Hallelujah. It was kind of put to the side and we've seemed to have carried on a little bit and we're continuing doing church, but we've not got the presence of God as we should. Now, I'm not saying we haven't got the presence of God, but I'll tell you this, we've not got the presence of God as we should have. Hallelujah. There is a presence of God, my friends, that will totally change and transform things, that will totally change you and transform you and change me and transform me. I want that presence. I want to see that presence. I want to tell you this, see, when that presence comes, there'll be no nonsense in the church. 
There'll be no nonsense. I remember listening to some of David Wilkinson's past times as well and others when there was such a presence of God. See when sin came in through the door, see if people were sitting there and you were sitting in an adulterous life or you were sitting doing and you were caught up in sin. You wouldn't be able to sit there quite passively. I want to tell you this, you would be, on, you would be either running out the doors of the church or you would be on your knees. Why? Because there was a presence of God. I remember once I felt it, and well, once, probably a few times, but one time we're in Living Waters Church, Ben Pitou, and I remember there was a time when Ben was preaching, and I want to tell you this, just a, there was just an awful, an awful presence of God came upon that meeting. And I remember sitting there, and I was like, God, it was like, you just wanted to get right with God. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, in the, you, you just felt this presence that I knew, I knew I had to get right with God. Hallelujah. Thank God I was feeling all right with the Lord at the time, but I really did feel there was such a presence that really just you, just, you just had to examine yourself. I just thought the presence of God is in this place. Now there's a presence of God, my friends, that can come upon a meeting. When we read about the revivals of past years, when the presence of God came, it says people were cut to the heart. There was, people were on their knees crying out to God. They were just convicted of their sin. Hallelujah. And they get right with the living God. That's what this nation needs. It needs such a moving of God we don't need a moving of God where we're all going to be lying about and laughing and kicking our heels up like a Toronto blessing. No, we need to move a God that's going to come upon this land that people are going to get in their knees and cry out to God with such a desire and say, God, forgive me. Hallelujah. And they'll get right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Do you know, God sends his convicting power upon us because to, so that we can get right with him, so that we can get a cleansing touch of the living God. Hallelujah. In preparation for him now to come into the land. You see, God deals with the nation first before he's going to come with his presence into the land. Glory to God. He's having to deal with his church, which I believe this is a season we're in. I believe this is a season of the threshing floor that God has been working in the church for the last couple of years, preparing us for such a moment. It's a threshing floor experience that we're going through just now. Hallelujah. But it's a place that God is bringing us to because God wants to bring again his spirit back into the land. That should be very exciting, brethren. It should be very encouraging, very inspiring that we should get before the living God. Hallelujah. God wants to bring his presence back into the nation of Scotland. That's what I'm living for. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm trusting for, that we will see the presence of God. And we are the priests that are going to carry that presence in. Glory to God. There's many churches throughout this nation that are crying out to the living God for a moving of his Holy Spirit. We happen to be one of them. I believe there's many more. Glory to God. So can I encourage you, church, this morning? Next week, we actually, we're going to see the presence of God coming in to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. We're going to see the ark of the glory of God because then David puts correct, corrects the mistake that he made. He corrected his mistake he consults with the priesthood, hallelujah, and we'll cover that next week. David puts it right, and guess what? Then the Lord comes into the land. Brethren, can I encourage us all to be, get a zeal and get a passion again for the presence of God, hallelujah. Let us get a zeal and a passion again for the presence of God. Let it become a driving force. Let it drive us to our knees. Let it drive us to the prayer meetings. Let it drive us into the place of, of the quiet place, your quiet place and my quiet place. I'll get before God and say, God, I need you. And I'm not leaving here until I find you. I love that prayer. 
I love that prayer. I love, I love that account of Jacob and he's wrestling with the angel. Now, whether it was the Lord Jesus Christ, an epiphany moment, I do not know. Was that an angel? But I just love his tenacity. And he's wrestling and he's wrestling and he can't, and, and, and it says, the angel says, let me go. He says, I ain't letting you go until you bless me. Amen. I won't let you go. You know, these wee stones here, you know what they are famously called? Most people come in here. Jacob's ladder. That's what we call them. And the only reason we did them like that, or I did them like that, was because there was a big cast iron pipe went up and we stripped all the rough cast off. And so we had a big concave hole in the rock all the way up. So we put a lot of plastic pipe in there. We've made use of it. We put our new wiring up there to wire the top deck. And I thought, how am I going to fill that so that it kind of doesn't stick out like a sore thumb? And so there we did. We put these little stones. And then somebody says, and it is, isn't it? So it's kind of famously called Jacob's Ladder. And that wonderful experience, isn't it? And I think again, that it speaks to something as symbolic, which I believe God wants to do in this church. Not only is the name telling us that the glory of God came back in through the east gate, but also that little ladder was, it says, that's where the angels ascended and descended upon Jacob. And when Jacob awoke after that dream of having been opened and angels ascending and descending, he awoke and he says, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. I'm longing for the day one day when there's such a powerful presence of God in this place and I will say, surely the presence of God was in this place, but I hadn't known it. But there'll be such a powerful moving of the Holy Spirit. Another time when we got this, see, this is just a little bit, another little story. When we were busy putting this place together like that was one incident. Up there, the top balcony, the last but a plasterboard behind the last joist up there, beam. There was always this kind of wet patch on the ceiling. Every now and again, we get an invasion of bees, and they would come in, and they'd be like, it would be like an airplane taking off, the honeybees, and they'd be all over the back windows. Now, you can't work when you get all these bees. Well, I can't work. I'm up and down ladders. I don't like a bee buzzing about me when I'm up a ladder. I'm, I mean, I'm up here sometimes. And so we had to get some guy in, broke my heart, but he extinguished all the bees. But then fast forward another couple of months, we had another visit of all these bees. We, Jim Clark it was, and he was in the pest control. And we looked up at the ceiling, there was this wet patch in the ceiling. Now I'm, I know about roofs, so plaster gets wet. And he goes, he goes I, think you've, I think you've got a hive. I think, I think you've got a hive in here. I think, there, I think there's a honeycomb up there. I says, I think that's a, a mark of honey. I mean, oh, come away, Jim. I goes, that's just a wet mark. So I remember we're up there in the balcony and I got one of these beams or one of a, bit, a bit of scaffolding and as I stood below it, Jim's, Jim in hand and I just thrust the scaffold right up through the plasterboard up there in the ceiling and shoof, and all these bees came shoof. and do you know the thing that happened? Honey started dripping from the ceiling. Now I'm up there dancing like David. Woo! I'm super excited. A land filled with milk and honey symbolic of the goodness of God. And I always felt there was something special about this building. Now, I'm just saying this building. I believe God kept this building for such a time then that we left Alec Gillis and um, bless Alex. And we found ourselves coming over here. We felt God leading us over here. And I've always felt that this wee building had been kept just for us for that moment in time. There's a lot more to that. But honey's dripping 
from the ceiling. Hallelujah. And I'm dancing as the honey is dripping. Hallelujah. And I just felt the goodness, surely the goodness of God is in this place. Hallelujah. And I'm praying that we will see. And we have seen little flavors of it, brethren. I'm not saying we're bereft and it's cold and indifferent. Thank God there's been flavors. But we're believing to see the glory of God. And I want to encourage us, guys, the glory of God. When the glory of God comes, hallelujah. When the presence of God comes, that's it. We don't need to worry about putting leaflets out. We don't need to worry about the flyers out. We don't need to worry about sending invitations out. When the glory of God comes, that's it. Just that be it. And everything else will just fall into place. And the presence of God will be in amongst his people. Do you know why? Let's go back to that. When Ark of God, it says, because God wanted to come and dwell in the midst of his people. God has not changed. He wants to come and dwell in the midst of us. And you can say, well, we've got him in the midst of us. Listen, there's a presence of God, my friend, that goes beyond this that we could ever even begin to imagine that, that, that could come amongst us. I want that presence. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your desire is that you will come and live amongst us. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to be in the midst of your people. Father, today, Lord, we bring ourselves before you. And Father, Lord, I pray today, Lord God, that we will begin to consecrate ourselves, Father, in preparation, in preparation, in faith, believing, Lord, that your presence is going to come amongst us. So Father, I just pray. I pray for every person in this room today. I ask, Lord, that you will touch them in a special way. I pray, Lord God, that you, Lord, will stir their hearts up within them. Stir up the Spirit of God within those, Lord God, Father, who are asleep. Stir them up, O oh God. Father, Lord, put within them that zeal, that zeal that David had, Lord, that, Lord, he gave himself no rest, that he desired, Lord God, to see the presence of God, Father, right in his midst. So, Father, I ask today, Lord God, that you will do a mighty move, Father. I pray that you will prepare Eastgate Church. I pray, Lord God, that you will prepare our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you will, Lord God, cause us to rise up, Lord God, that we might take hold of that to which you have taken hold of us. I pray, Lord, that we will have a Jacob's Ladder experience. I pray that we will have a wrestling experience, Lord God, Father, with the very presence of the living God. And, Father, that, Lord, that your blessing, Lord God, will rest upon us. Oh, that you would bless us. As Jabez said, Lord God, Father, oh, Lord, that you would bless me. Lord, I pray, let your blessing now be upon your people. Let your blessing be upon your people. And if there's no one that's ever made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ this day, can I tell you that God loves you and God's got your best interests at heart. And if you will allow the God to take hold of your life, God will change you and transform you and God will give you a brand new life. And God will make you a great man or a great woman, whoever you might be. Thanks for watching. If you've been challenged today, then please drop a message so that we can help support and pray for you. And also, remember to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next message.